0: Hallelujah. In Psalm 31, we're going to be moving down to verse number 23, and, and, and the psalmist here keys in on one of the most important and fundamental issues regarding our walk of faith. How many even you know that faith is a walk? Uh, Paul actually describes faith as he, he told Timothy, he said, fight the good fight of faith. And a lot of people don't realize that faith is a fight. And anytime that you walk in faith, it's a fight. Because if you're walking by sight, then you don't need faith you don't need what you you don't need what you don't have if you can just make it by without god it's not faith that you need but it is for that, that pilgrim, that one that has heard that voice crying in the wilderness, that understands that God is is separate from this world, that God is holy, holy, holy. And he's called you to come and live after him and to follow him and to be his, his bride on this earth. God has called us to that place, and it takes faith to walk the God walk in this earth. This world is against God. Amen. In First John, it says that if you love this world, then the love of God's not in you. That God and this world are diametrically opposed to one another, and until God comes and restores this earth to the way it's supposed to be, it's always going to be that way. So if you have the love of the world in your heart, there's a problem. We have to see that this world has been set in opposition to our God. Everything that we know and love about God is, is in opposition to the things of the world. And I love it says in 1 John uh, chapter 1 that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. I mean, we people like to muddy the waters, but when it comes to the things of God, there's no muddy in there. It's clear. God is one thing, and the world is another thing. And when it comes to our walk of faith, we have to see that there has to be a clear-cut distinction between us and the things of this world. And if we're going to walk the walk of faith, we're going to have to walk in a manner that is not like the world. Amen? that is not like the world. God's called us to that place. This is not a place of easy believism or one, two, three, squeeze my hand and be like me. This is a walk of faith that, it, and it takes perseverance to do. Watch this. It is in verse 23. This Psalm uh, of David is so beautiful. It says, Oh, love the Lord, all ye his saints for the Lord preserveth the faithful and plentifully rewardeth the proud doer be of good courage and he shall strengthen your heart all you that hope in the lord then and david knew something about being faithful because there was a time in david's life that he was not faithful and and there's times in our life that we've blown it there's times in our in our life where where we've missed it and David missed it greatly but the thing is is that he repented and God restored his heart. God cleansed his heart and God renewed him and God put him back on that place of the straight and narrow in other words God gave him a second chance just like God would give you a second chance if you would come and humble yourself before God and repent. I want you to know God loves you and his desire is for you to walk in that straight and narrow place and if you'll humble yourself and repent in the same manner that God cleansed the heart of David, he'll cleanse your heart too, and he'll give you a new walk. Amen? And and David, so David knew, David knew what it meant to be faithful and he knew what it meant to not be faithful. And and we have to understand that in order for you to walk in a way that pleases God, you're going to have to be faithful in your walk. You're not going to be able to be an undercover Christian not going to be able to be you know one way on Sunday and another way on Monday but you're supposed to be the same way all the time before God being faithful means God knows what you're going to do in the situation regardless of what the situation is no matter how much pressure there is a faithful person will do what God desires them to do no matter what the opposition is there may be times in our walk with God that it costs us more To live for Him. There may be times in your life that it costs you just to say the name Jesus. Because I promise you there's other nations where they say, if you say the name Jesus, we're going to cut your tongue out. And and just saying the name Jesus may cost you one day. Amen? And, And so we have to be the kind of people that are faithful to do what God's called us to do no matter what. But the part I want you to get in this verse 23, it says the Lord preserves the faithful. The word preserve it, it it means it's an ongoing reality. The T-H on the end of that word, it means that it's an ongoing principle that God has put in place. So as you're faithful to God, look what God does. He preserves you. Amen? Preserves you from what? Preserves you from rotting. Preserves you from deteriorating on the inside. How many of you know what it's like to be dead on the inside sometimes? Just to go through the motions on the outside, but you don't feel anything on the inside. You might have one time felt the fire of God, but then you don't feel it anymore. And you, and you know you're supposed to keep the outside going, so nobody just worries about you. But that inside, right? That inside is where you're missing pieces. And no, there's, no, uh, there's no peace there. But it says that God preserves the faithful. That means that God has a way of taking that faithful person and putting something upon them and within them that preserves them through every trial and every tribulation and every situation that they come into. God has a way of preserving His children even when they go in a fiery furnace. Even when they go in the belly of a whale even when they get enslaved in Egypt, God has His way of preserving His people no matter the situation because God is bigger than our situation. God is bigger than our situation. And sometimes you've got to tell that situation that your God's bigger. Sometimes you've got to look at that thing and say, you know what, you talk a big talk, but my God has spoken, and it is done in Jesus' name. And sometimes you have to declare that over the situation. Because it is faithfulness that God's looking for in our lives. Do you know that the Bible says that in order for you to be a steward, you must show yourself faithful? Jesus said that if you're not faithful in the little things, you won't be faithful in the big things. It is faithfulness that brings you into the place that God has for you. There is a place that God has for you. There's a calling on your life. There's a purpose that God has designed for you. There's a place that you belong in the family of God, and there's a role that you play that God has an anointing and an equipping for you so that you can fulfill the mandate God has for your life. But if you're not faithful in the little things, that's what God can't trust you with the big things. Jesus said, if you're faithful in the little, then you'll be faithful in the much. But if you can't be faithful in the little, God knows he can't trust you with the much. But it is in those moments where nobody's looking where we don't get any pat on the back, it's in those moments that faithfulness is birthed. It's when you desire God no matter what, no matter if anybody's looking, notices, or anything else, but you want to live right before God all the days of your life, all the moments of your life, all the seasons of your life, and in every situation of life. God's desire for you is faithfulness. Faithfulness is just simply the, the walking out of faith. When when you look at a husband or a wife, one of the things that they say is, Oh, she's been faithful to him. What does that mean? It means that she's kept her heart right all the days, in all situations. There was never those times where she was unfaithful. And what does it mean for a Christian to be faithful to God? To be faithful, it means that our hearts are always right before him. And in order for us to keep our hearts right before God, we have to keep our hearts humble humility is, the, is one of the key ingredients that God looks for. God's looking for a people who will humble themselves before him. What, what it just simply means to be humble before God, it means to say, Lord, not my way. Not my way. Your way. Jesus did that. Jesus modeled that humility. Humility just means, Lord, it's not about what I want, when I want it, and how I want it. But I'm coming to you. And I'm just, I'm just saying, you can, you can have me. Change me, mold me, make me, do what you desire within me. But if, if I need to let something go, I'll let it go. If I need to do something, I'll do that something, Lord. But my desire is for you. Humility is a letting go of yourself and a grabbing hold of God. And humility is one of the key ingredients, like I said, that God uh, is looking for in his people. One of the reasons why I believe that it's important that we understand what faithfulness means is because that sometimes in our life, we can get used to our situation. How many of you know that we as as a people can acclimate ourselves? If you've ever heard the illustration of a boiling frog, you know what I'm talking about. The, the, the way that you boil a frog is you don't just throw the frog in boiling water. You put him in lukewarm water, and then you slowly turn it up. You let him acclimate to that. And then you turn it up a little more let him acclimate to that. Then you turn it up a little bit more and you let him acclimate to that. Well, you know what? A lot of times in our life, the enemy turns up that boiling water. In other words, what I'm trying to get you to see is there's times that the enemy will come and he'll start taking territory from you. Anything that he can do to get your hopes to be crashed. Anything he can do to get your faith to be pointed back on yourself or your situation. But He'll go and and He'll get you into that place to where you're used to walking with a limp. Where you're used to not having the joy of the Holy Ghost. Where you're used to not having the peace of the Holy Spirit. Where you're used to not having the power of God in your life. Where you're used to that place to where things are dead. And nothing's functioning the way God designed it to function. And it will get you to acclimate yourself to that place that the enemy wants you to stay so that he can keep you, listen, so that he can keep you impotent in the things of God. So that he can keep you impotent in the things of God. Well, I want you to know that the power of God will work no matter what the situation is in your life. Amen. So one of the things that we see, though, is that a lot of times we get acclimated to our situation. And when we do, it begins to desensitize us to faith. It begins to desensitize us to faith. Turn with me, if you will, to Hebrews chapter 11. We're going to look at the Hall of Fame of Faith over here. Hebrews chapter number 11, the Hall of Fame of Faith. But as the people, as God's people, one of the things that we've got to understand is we have a heritage. As God's people, we have a heritage. Our heritage is to be pilgrims on this earth. To be pilgrims on this earth. To be ambassadors for a kingdom, not of this world, but of heaven. But our heritage is to walk and live as pilgrims in this world. This world's not our home. And when, when, when we get used to the things of this life, when we get used to those things and we begin to acclimate ourselves to it, what happens is we begin to lose sight of this one re- important reality. This one important reality. And Paul taught it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. You remember what he said over there? In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7, he said this, We walk by faith and not by sight. When a Christian begins to walk by sight, they've begun to get desensitized to the reality that you're called to walk by faith and not by sight. What does it mean to walk by faith and not by sight? It means that you're trusting what God says and what your eyes see. How many of you know that the enemy will whisper very loudly about what you can see with a natural eye? But in order for any saint of God, any woman or any man in the Old Testament or New Testament, any time they did anything for God, they had to say no to what they saw with a natural eye and yes to what God spoke by the Spirit of God. And in order for you to be faithful, in order for you to find that that place where God preserves you as you're faithful before him, you're going to have to get into that place where you believe what God says more than what you see with your eyes or feel in your emotions. A lot of times a lot, a lot of times people uh, a lot of times people put more stock and more emphasis and, and, and more um, confidence in what they feel than what God has said. Amen? There's, there's, I'm sure that Daniel, whenever he was in the den of lions, didn't feel great. Amen? When you get thrown into the den of lions for being righteous before God, that's probably not a great feeling. I'm sure that Joseph didn't feel great when he held on to his integrity and he said no to Potiphar's wife, and they put him in prison. I'm sure they didn't feel great. And it's in those moments that if you're not faithful that you'll begin to question. Maybe I should have done something different. Maybe I should have done something different. But the walk of faith may, may cost you. It may cost you the, with the world, but I would rather get on with Jesus than get on with the world. I would rather go forward in Jesus, amen, than have the world think highly of me. One of the things we have to understand about the walk of faith is we're here to please God, not man. It's not that we just want to be obnoxious towards men, but we have to understand our first and primary um, desire should be to please God first and then let the chips fall where they may. And if you can please God and man, then good for you. But most of the time, that's not possible. You're going to have to walk a different walk in order to please God in the things of life. Now, we're going to look at Abraham, and and we're going to pick it up in verse number six. But we're going to look at the life of Abraham for just a a little bit. But one of the things I want you to see is there's, there's three characteristics that I want to touch on about faithfulness. And why faith is necessary. Uh, Faith is necessary not only to please God. Faith is necessary not only to please God, but to remain faithful. To walk in victory. Amen. To walk in victory and to walk in the Spirit. It takes faith to do those three things. It takes faith to be faithful. To be faithful, it takes faith. And then it also takes faith to, to walk in victory. And it also takes faith to walk in the Spirit. So we're going to look at those things in the life of Abraham as we begin in verse number 6 of Hebrews 11. It says, But without faith it is impossible to please him. There you go. Without faith it is impossible to please him. So look, if if your life consists of doing what you want, when you want, and, and, and the way that you want, that doesn't take faith. And you're in no way pleasing to God. A lot of times we think that we're okay because we might tip God every now and then or we might visit church every now and then. But it's not those things that please God. It says that it's faith that pleases God. And sometimes it's a walk of faith just to get to church. That pleases God. Sometimes it's a walk of faith just to pray. That pleases God. How? How do you know? Because without faith, it's impossible to please Him. That means that God's looking for faith in your life. And if there's things going on in our life where where we can get by without using any kind of faith, where we can just acclimate ourselves to the world and we're coasting by, it's not costing us anything, we're not facing any headwind, we're not walking different than anyone else, and we're not doing anything different than anyone else, we're just doing what we want, when we want, and how we want, it is impossible to please God. Because it requires faith. It requires faith, and faith is opposite of what you see with your eyes and feel with your body. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God, according to Romans chapter 10, verse 17. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. Hallelujah. Okay, so let's get into this. It says, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Now we're going to move down into, from here down into verse number 10, and then we're going to uh, just break apart Abraham. The first one's about Noah. It says in verse 7, By faith Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should, after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whether he went. By faith, he sojourned in the land of promise, as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise in verse 10 for he looked for a city which has foundations whose builder and maker is God and we're going to stop right there but that just simply shows you that Abraham was a pilgrim he wasn't looking for a natural city he wasn't looking for a natural home in other words Abraham wasn't looking to get a, a, a house with a white picket fence and two dogs and three cats and you know a, a, a basketball goal and two cars in the garage he, Abraham wasn't looking for the American dream. He was looking for God. He was looking for a home who, 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 who God had made the foundations of. He was looking for God. And one of the things that we miss in, in American Christianity is that we sometimes make it synonymous, that if, if God's blessing is upon you, then you're going to be living the American dream. And I believe nothing further could be uh, to the truth. Because the closer you get to God, the more God's going to call you out of this world. The closer you get to God, the more he's going to call you to sacrifice who you are for who he is. The, the closer you get to God, the more you're going to find yourself not at home in this world. As the people of this world clamor for the attention and affection of politicians and people and places and things, the saint of God finds herself longing for a home that is not here on this earth, longing for a home. Listen, in Beulah Land, across that river, as God calls us home, that's where our home is. And I've said it before, but I firmly believe I don't, I do not believe there's an American flag planted in Beulah Land. Amen. I don't believe there's any flags of any nations planted in Beulah land. I believe there's one flag, the flag of the Lamb. Amen? The Lamb of God who was slain from the foundation of the world. That's our God. That's our King. That's our Prince. And that's who we serve. And that's the land where we will dwell with no end. Amen? And we are pilgrims here on this earth. From now until the day that we enter into that land, our job is to walk the walk of faith until that day. So it says here a couple of things I don't want to point out about Abraham. A couple of things I want to point out about Abraham. Number one, if you look back into verse number eight, it says when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, he obeyed. And he went out not knowing where he went. Now, if you know the story of Abraham, what happened is he was living in Ur, Ur of the Chaldees. His name back then was Abram. And, and, And Abram was, listen, he was living a comfortable life. He had the white picket fence, two dogs, three cats, two cars in the garage. He might have even had ESPN and a recliner. He might have even had a man kitchen outside. Idiot. He was living in Ur, and he was comfortable. He was living the, 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 the dream life of Ur. And God called him out. God said, this world's not your home, Abram. If you follow me, I'll give you a home. If you follow me, I'll give you a home. And the Bible says that Abraham obeyed God. He obeyed God. Now, listen, can I tell you something? This, this is where I, I want you to see something. Faithfulness is what God preserves. And can I tell you something about Abraham? What happened to Abraham? Do you know that there, he had an opportunity to go back home every day of his life? Think about that. How many, time, how many nights in the desert without a house, just living in a tent? Do you have to live out there? No running water, no TV, none of that kind of stuff. No recliner. You're just living in a tent in the desert. And, and Abraham lived that life every single day. That means every single day you probably had someone in the home saying, how much longer we got to stay out here in the desert? How much longer till we can go back home? Dad, I want to go. You know, back home, that's where I was playing t-ball, and I was doing this, and we had family, and we have friends, and we have, you know, all these things going on. And we don't even know who won the game this year. We haven't been able to keep up with who the latest mayor of, of Ur is. We we don't even know, you know, whether this political side or that political side's winning the battle right now. We're just stuck out here in the desert, walking nowhere, going nowhere. And Abraham the whole time was living a life of faith. In other words, he would not have inherited the promises of God if he would have went back. And if you go back, listen, if you go back, you're going to forfeit some of the promises of God for you. There were definite and specific promises of God that Abraham could have seized. But if he would have went back home, he would have forfeited them. God would have given them to someone else. And there's things in your life, listen, there's things in your life that you will forfeit if you go back and you stop living a life of faith. There's things in your life that you will forfeit. You cannot have your cake and eat it too. If you're going to be God, you're going to have to be God's people and walk by faith. But if you're not going to be God's and walk by faith and you go back, you're going to forfeit a lot of those promises. And you may even forfeit even more than that. You may even lose your soul. One of the things about going back, as God says in the previous chapter of of chapter 10 of Hebrews, he said that if, if anyone draws back, his soul has no pleasure in them. If any man draws back, his soul has no pleasure in them. So God's called us to come out and to follow him all the days. Amen? From the day that God calls us till the day that we go home. But there's a forfeiting that takes place. So in order for someone to be faithful, the the one key word that I want you to get is that is continued obedience. It said that Abraham obeyed. He went out. And I just think it's so awesome because as you live a life of faith, you have to understand, you have to understand this, that at any point you can forfeit those promises of God when you stop living by faith, when you stop living by faith. But in order for you to inherit the promises of God, you have to press on in faith. You have to press on in faith and you will inherit those promises of God. The, the, another thing that I want to get into is that Abraham was victorious, One of the the things about Abraham that happened to him was was pretty unique. Um, You know that he brought Lot with him. Amen? He brought Lot with him, and, and Lot had his way of getting involved in bad situations. But Abraham had this promise. He was God's person. He was God's man of the hour. And wherever Abraham was, God had promised him that land. And even Lot, he went down into Sodom and he went down into Gomorrah and, and, and they began to just acclimate themselves to the world. And there was a point in time whenever a king came up against the city and they took all the people captive, everybody in Sodom, everybody in Gomorrah, everybody in the surrounding areas, and they even took Lot. And they, they took them all captive, took them all hostage. How many of you know you might have somebody that the enemy takes hostage? Somebody in your family. I want you to see this because Lot was a member of Abraham's family. So Abraham here is living for God, and one of his family members gets taken captive. Now, this is the part I want you to see. Abraham doesn't live in defeatism. Abraham doesn't say, well... You know what? They should have learned their lesson the first time. They shouldn't have chosen Sodom. I let them, you know, I, I let them choose anywhere he wanted to live. And he chose to live as close as he could to hell. And now he's gone that way. How many of you know there's, there's a reason you don't live close to the edge? And, and, and Lot got himself all the way over there close to the edge. and then some. And then he got taken. He got taken captive. He got kidnapped by the enemy. And Abraham did not live in defeatism, but lived in victory. And when he heard that his family member, who God had promised him, would live in the promised land, Abraham immediately took up arms, got his people, went by faith, and he took Lot back. How many of you know that in in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus said an important thing? Jesus told Peter that, that on this rock I will build my church. And listen, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That means that there are times when the enemy will come and they will grab hold of some of the people of God that are maybe too close to the edge or backslidden or on the fringes and the enemy will take that down. Slimy grip and begin to pull people back. But as the church of the living God, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. And when we see that there's a problem in the promised land, we can walk by faith and go back to where they are and lay claim over their life and pray the prayer of faith, and it'll save the sick and it'll restore the lost. And listen, and God's called us to not live in defeatism. God's called us to not say, well, they, must, they should have learned their lesson the second time or the third time. But if you're going to live a life of victory, you have to understand, God has given you the right. Jesus said, all power in heaven and earth is given to me. All power in heaven and earth was given to Jesus. There's no demonic power that can overtake the power of God. When that false prophet tried to curse the nation of Israel, he said, I cannot curse what God has blessed. uh And you have to understand that if if the enemy cannot curse what God has blessed, that means that you have authority over the situation. Jesus said that at his name, listen, he's been given a name above every name, that at the name of Jesus Christ, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That means the authority belongs to our king. And if there's someone in our family or a friend or someone in our church that's kind of teeter-tottering and sliding back, look, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church of the living God. And we have every right and we have the authority to go and pray over that person and lay hands on that person and claim them for the name of Jesus Christ and bring them back to the fold of God. Listen, our Jesus is a good shepherd. Amen? He's a good shepherd, but he's not physically walking on this earth. So he's empowered his church to be shepherds. He's empowered the church to go out and to rescue the perishing. He's empowered the church to go out and to find the broken hearted, the downtrodden, the limping, the lame, the hurting, the blind, the lost and to go out and to reconcile them back to the Father so that they won't be lost anymore, but they'll be found. Amen? So our job is to go go out and to do those things for the lord and there may be times in your life where you say you know what i wish somebody would come after me well the lord does the lord does the holy spirit is the one who goes out and he convicts and he'll begin look and if you're if you're in church or you're walking with god somebody somewhere told you about jesus somebody somewhere told you about jesus and the thing is, that's what our job is. But a lot of times we see people, and, and just like Lot, Abraham could have said, you know what, that guy, he lived foolishly. He shouldn't have lived foolishly. How many of you know sometimes in church you can get the elder brother syndrome? Y'all remember the elder brother and the, prodig- the story of the prodigal son? The prodigal son came back home. Well, that elder brother was, was not happy about it. Not happy about it. The elder brother was self-righteous. You shouldn't have gone out and squandered all of the father's inheritance. You shouldn't have you shouldn't have done all that. And you wouldn't be suffering like you. Oh, a lot of times the church can get that elder brother syndrome. But see Abraham didn't have that. When when Lot began to get taken captive by the enemy, Abraham didn't fall into this whole elder brother thing. Well, you shouldn't have lived in Sodom. He knew, listen, he knew that Lot His rightful place was in the inheritance of God because he was a member of Abraham's household. And so Abraham immediately went and took back, listen, what the enemy had taken from him. He immediately went and took back what the enemy had taken. And you know, there's territory in our life where the enemy will take it. The enemy will take all that you'll give. The enemy will take all that you'll give. If you don't want to hold on to your peace, you want to let it go, you want to not walk by faith and just walk by sight, the enemy is going to take territory from you. Every bit of every bit of what God's doing in your life, if you give it to the enemy, he'll take it. He, and, and the Bible says that he is an enemy. He is an enemy. The Bible says that he walks about as a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. That tells me that he's always pushing and he's always prodding and he's always looking for an opening. Did you know that the enemy will walk around you a hundred times just to find the back door open once? You can be diligent about this and diligent about this and diligent about this, but once you begin to stop walking by faith, you begin to open that door to the enemy. And all the enemy's looking for is just one little inroad into your life. One little murmur, one little place of bitterness, one little offense, one little disappointment or disillusionment, one little place where you're not walking in faith, one little place where he can, where he can seize hold and you could just, you know, and I believe right here was a, a big test for Abraham. You might have thought it was a test for Lot because Lot was the one held hostage. I believe it was a test for Abraham because Abraham could have got the elder brother syndrome and he could have said, you shouldn't have been playing over there in Sodom. But immediately when Lot was taken, Abraham went into action. And I believe that's such a beautiful picture of what we as the church are supposed to do. When you see somebody not where they're supposed to be, when you see somebody falling back, when you see somebody getting involved in the things of the world or the things of sin, or maybe they're beginning to lose hope and they're beginning to lose encouragement, the fire of God is waning in their life, you need to go where they are and do whatever's necessary. The holy You may not know the right words, but you've got the right spirit if you're full of the Holy Spirit. And when you go to them, the Holy Spirit will give you the words to say at the right moment. That's why is so beautiful, because it's of God. Not of man, it's of the power of the Holy Ghost, not the wisdom of men. We don't need psychology, we need the power of the Holy Ghost at work in our lives, and it's not just for ministers, it's for everyone. We need the power of the Holy Ghost at work so that husbands can lay hands on their wives, or the wives can instruct their children in the way of God, or so that single people can remain pure and holy before God, or so that elderly people can stay on fire of God all the way through the finish line. Look, we've got a call of God on our life and we must remain consecrated to God all the days of our life. It's the power of God. So it's not about the wisdom of men. It's the power of the Holy Ghost at work in us. Because men can come up with all kinds of ideas. We can come up with schemes and plans and programs. And we can say, you do your 30% and I'll do my 30% and I'll do this and you do that. But you know what we need? We need God. We need the Holy Ghost. We need to stop leaning on the arm of men and hang on to the arm of God. Amen. And when we lean on the arm of God, that's when, that's the only time when the gates of hell will not prevail against us. Is there's times that the enemy will come and he'll take, listen, he'll take captive your children or he'll take captive your spouse, or he'll take captive someone in your family, or a friend, or someone in your church. He'll take captive someone. And if that church is not equipped by the power of the Holy Ghost, that church will live in defeatism and say, well, I hope they make it back. But the power of the Holy Ghost will compel us to get involved, to roll up our sleeves, to get involved in that situation and to begin to pray the prayer of faith over that person and go to where they are and do whatever's necessary to see them get back to the place that God has called them to be. Amen? That's one of our jobs to do as the church of the living God. So we see this important reality is that the enemy had illegally taken something. Has the enemy illegally taken something from you? I mean, you can look at it really generically. And you can say, I used to have peace or I used to have joy. But I think of people in our life. There's people that we know that... that that once we're right with God, that the enemy is taken. The enemy is blinded. The enemy is taking them back. But we have to be God's people of this hour and go out and fight the good fight of faith and wage heavenly war for the people that we know and love. Because look, you, you, you may be comfortable where you're at, but I promise you they're not. You may be comfortable sitting on a church pew. You may be comfortable living the life you're living. But if someone's not right with God, I promise you they're not comfortable. They are bound and they are addicted and they are messed up. And and it is incumbent upon us to stop sleeping and stop being at ease in Zion and go out and wage heavenly war for the people of God that are not right today. Oh, how can we be at ease in Zion when so many people are afflicted? How, how, how can we sleep and slumber when there's a, a host of people that are plagued, that are, that are, that are being um, this day, that are being held captive against their will. This day. And Paul teaches that in the book of Timothy, first, uh, 2 Timothy chapter 2. Now look at this though. This, there's, another, there's another aspect of this that I want to get into. And that, that's this, this last part, it says, um, it says, in verse nine that by faith he sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac, and Jacob, the heirs, with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Who's Isaac, by the way? Who's Isaac? Isaac is that promised child, right? Isaac is the one that that was promised to Abraham, and and Abraham and Sarah, Sarah laughed because she was so old, she didn't believe it was going to happen. How many of you know that God's good about restoring things? Amen? With God, time is no issue. God's the author of time. He's the author of creation. And you might have think the best days are behind you, but sometimes you've got to trust God, hold on to his promise, and let God do what he does best. Let God do what he does best. And and Sarah thought, ha, 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 there's no way. And there was a way. There was a way. That's Isaac. Isaac is the child of promise. But here's the part I want you to see. How did Abraham get Isaac? How did Abraham get Isaac? Did did Abraham get Isaac because he lived a life of faith or because he lived the life of the law? Faith. Faith is what got Isaac brought into this world. Because Abraham believed God, God counted it to him for righteousness, and God granted Isaac to Abraham because he chose to walk by faith and not by sight. Amen? That's why Isaac is here. But here's the test. Isaac, God calls Abraham and he says, Offer up thy son, thine only son, Isaac, on Mount Moriah. And, and Abraham had this test. Listen, there's one thing that you've got to know about God. God may bless you. He may bring things into your life, but he wants to make sure that he's still the prize of your heart. And you see, God blessed Abraham. God gave Abraham his own child with his beautiful darling wife, Sarah, something he dreamed about for ages. And he finally got this promised child, Isaac. And God wanted to make sure that he loved God more than he loved Isaac. And he said, will you offer up that thing? That your son, your only son, Isaac. You know what? Abraham knew this. Abraham knew that God had promised a seed. And he knew that through that seed that he would have an inheritance that his children and his children's children and children's children's children would outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand of the sea. He knew it. And yet God asked him to lay down Isaac and to sacrifice Isaac. Abraham went up Mount Moriah and he went up there by faith. He knew in his heart that if he offered up Isaac... God would somehow restore Isaac. He knew that God's promise was greater than what he saw with his eyes. He knew that what God had said would come to pass no matter what his eyes in the natural saw. And so Abraham went up there, he offered up Isaac, and right before Isaac died, God stopped him. And he said, now I know you won't withhold. Now I know you won't withhold. You know, there's times and and how many of you know that God knew what was gonna happen? Amen. Do you know that God's in tomorrow? God knew what was gonna happen. It wasn't that God was trying to figure something out, but God was showing Abraham that Abraham, his faith was full. Abraham didn't know if he would go all the way. How many of you know when you're walking the walk of faith, you you you're not too sure? Sometimes you question yourself. Sometimes you think, well, you know, I, I'm not sure. And God let him go all the way so that he could see that his faith had no limits. His faith had no limits. Would you be willing to let go of what God's given you just to keep a hold of God? Would you be willing to let go of every promise? Would you be willing to let go of every blessing? One of the problems we see in modern Christianity, it's always about bless me, bless me, bless me. We love what the giver can give us, but not the giver. We want the blessing, but not the blesser. Amen? We want the healing, but not the healer. We want the deliverance, but we don't want the deliverer. It is, it is that, that rare person that desires God more than what God can do. That's who God's looking for. That's who God's looking for. The person who desires God and not only what he can give. Well, Abraham here, he had an opportunity uh, just to begin. How many of you know whenever you're presented with a choice like that, one of the things that that oftentimes happens is that you, you can begin to make up excuses for why you can't do it. You ever been in a situation where God requires something of you and you begin to make up an excuse? God requires you to, to do this, or God requires you to do that. How many of you know that you, you, when you got into this life that you're in, when you got into this walk of faith, what did God require of you? Faith. Faith. Faith is what got you here. Listen, faith is what got you here. Faith is what will keep you here, and faith is what will take you where God's taking you. It is faith that God's looking for. Does it take obedience? Yes, it takes obedience. But faith is that first thing that God's looking for in our lives. And in order for you to, in order for you to follow after God, you're going to have to use faith in do, to do it. Amen? Okay, let me show you one thing over here in 1 John. If you will, turn with me to 1 John chapter 5. 1 John chapter 5. Hallelujah. And it is about getting to that place where you trust what God says above what your natural eyes see or feel. That's what it means to walk by faith and not by sight. To walk by faith and not by sight. So in 1 in John chapter 5, And we're going to move down to verse number four. First John chapter five, beginning in verse number four. It says, for whatsoever is born of God, overcometh the world. And this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. Our faith is what overcomes the world. You know that there, it, In order for you to be the man or the woman of God that he's called you to be, you're going to have to operate in faith. If you're not willing to walk in faith, you're not going to have victory over the world. If you're not willing to walk in faith, you're going to walk by what you see. And if you walk by what you see, that means you're held captive to the world. That means that the world's got you. When the world tells you 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 cannot walk on water, you'll believe the world. But when Jesus tells you to step out of the boat and that you can walk on water, faith overcomes the world. And do you know that Jesus walked on water, but so did Peter. Peter was the second person to walk on water and because he trusted what Jesus said. Jesus said you can do it, and Peter believed Jesus. And I want you to know that if you'll get into the Word of God and get into the prayer closet, God will begin to speak things into your life. You'll begin, one of those scriptures will begin to come alive. God will begin to whisper into your life, and you'll begin to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and He'll call upon you to follow Him in a certain area. And when God calls you, listen, it's, it's going to go against the grain. It goes against the world, but it is our faith that gives us victory over this world. God's called us, God's called us to live a life separate from this world. And it is faith that gives us the victory over it. There's times that, there's times that you can see throughout the people of God, faith working in so many people's lives. Faith working in so many people's lives. One of, one of my favorite people in the Bible is, is Samson. I love Samson because Samson failed God. And you, you, you might have failed God, but maybe not as big as Samson. I mean, Samson failed God miserably. But you know one of the best verses of the Bible, it says, whenever Samson, he was, he was abused, they pulled his eyes out, they cut his hair off, and they put him in prison. One of the most beautiful verses in the Bible, it says, but his hair grew back. But his hair began to grow. And how many of you know that was his consecration? His long hair is what gave him consecration to God. And when his hair began to grow, his strength began to grow. That was God's grace at work in Samson's life. And he trusted God again. How many of you know it it probably didn't feel right? As he couldn't see and as he had been abused by so many people, he told that little child, he said, take me to the center of this temple. Take me to where the two pillars are. Many of you know, he was about to knock down those pillars. He knew it. By faith, he knew it. He knew it, but he probably didn't feel it. He probably didn't feel it because he's been in prison. He's been abused, and his eyes weren't even in his head anymore. And yet he walked by faith. He knew something was different. He knew he had regained his consecration with God. He knew that he had regained something, something that the world couldn't see. God put something in him that the world, when the world looked at him, the world couldn't see it, but God was working in him, and God gave him the victory over the situation. And I want you to know that the world may look at you, they may not understand it, they may not see anything about it, but if you begin to walk, by faith and not by sight. God will give you the victory that overcomes the world. And that is what our faith accomplishes. Amen. Amen. This morning, I don't know where you're at in your walk. I don't know where you're at in your walk. But I know that it's going to take faith to get you to where God wants you to go. And you may be battling issues. You may be battling. Uh, you, you may be battling sickness. You may be battling in your body. You may be battling with your past. You may be battling with addiction. You may be battling with temptation, or maybe it's just because you allowed defeatism to set in. Like I said, Abraham, he he saw Lot, and he immediately went. How many of you know? If you don't immediately go after someone who's losing the battle, you can begin to get discouraged. Discouragement is one of the weapons that the enemy uses to keep us from the fight. If the enemy can keep you discouraged, he can keep you out of the battle. Well, I want you to know today that God wants our faith to begin to rise. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, and we just heard a lot about faith. Abraham walked by faith and not by sight, and God's called us to do the same thing. In order for you to gain victory in your life over whatever the issue is, faith is going to take you there. Faith is going to take you there. Would you believe God this morning? We're going to open up our altars.